Hello and welcome to Connect FCS Ed, where we talk about family and consumer science education. This podcast is geared towards recruiting, maintaining, and supporting all FCS educators. I am your host, Barbara Scully, and I am here to help boldly celebrate with you families and careers. Hello, and welcome back to Connect FCS Ed. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of the many adventures uh, as we navigate going into COVID school year 2021. Today, I have an amazing guest with us today. She is not only an author, she's a podcaster, she's also a doctor, and she writes blogs, and she goes around doing keynote speaking, seminars, workshops, all sorts of amazing things. Welcome, Dr. Monica Burns of ClassTechTips.com and Blogger. Well, thank you so much for having me today. Excited to chat with you and join you here on the podcast. Yes. No, as I, I mentioned earlier, it's kind of surreal for me, but you know, in a way you're, you're a huge celebrity in education for, for me, but I know there's many others who, who listen to you and are part of your master classes and just all the amazing things that you do to help promote professional development for educators. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for those kind words. It's been a really wild few years of transitioning out of the classroom into the work that I do now. And then, of course, this year has been particularly different for all of us when we think about using technology in classroom environments and expanding that definition of classroom to include virtual spaces as well. So excited to join you today. Yeah. Well, I guess just kind of to dive into it, what is your background? So I am based on the East Coast. I taught in New York City public schools for about seven years, a little shy of seven years in a classroom where we started off with an overhead projector and chalk and a chalkboard and transparencies and all those words we don't use every day and sometimes save for crossword puzzles at this point all the way to going one-to-one with devices. So we became a traditional public school, zoned local public school, and we became a magnet school through some funding that our district received. Our theme was environmental stewardship. And so part of that was thinking about using technology to not just save paper, but to connect students with different um, resources, learn about the world around them. And it was early on, I want to say 2011-ish, with iPads coming on the scene, so almost 10 years ago, which is wild to say out loud. And so we were able to go one-to-one. I taught uh, fifth grade. And so that work for a few years inside the classroom with devices lent me to kind of going out, speaking and sharing, starting to blog and write. After I left the classroom, I went back to school for my doctorate and continued to kind of share in digital spaces on my blog and podcast, but then also hosting virtual presentations like I'm doing now, but then also traveling around to lots of places to speak and to share and to spend time in classrooms as well as more larger events. Wow. That is quite a history. And that's exciting to see, you know, how far you've come. Yeah. It's, you know, interesting when you think back about experiences that seem kind of small or just inconsequential in the moment when you kind of pull them all together. You know, if this hadn't happened, if I hadn't met this person, if I didn't say yes to that professional development, if I didn't go to that thing, you know, when all those pieces come together. But I think the, really the big thing that I usually, you know, think about when it comes to starting things was that I was 
using devices really early on. And the Apple reps who were trying to get iPads in more places probably, right, were hearing lots of questions from their teachers and other schools. And they invited me to come and speak to what I was pitched as a a group of teachers who were coming after school to this thing, you know, just bring a couple of your favorite apps to show them. And I showed up and it was like 300 people. I had never done any sort of public speaking before. And you know, the sales rep kind of had that, you know, if I told you, you wouldn't have come look, you know, on his face as, as nice as he is. And then, you know, just kind of plugged in my iPad on the stage and went for it. And that's really when people started saying, what's your blog, you know, what's your Twitter profile and all those things so that they could follow along for some more tips. And, you know, I hardly was the only person out there, you know, doing sharing and online spaces, but it was kind of early on. And so that's when I started my blog and thinking about, using social media to share resources with teachers. And it was really an interesting time of just community in these different spaces that now has grown so much since then, but especially so in the past six months where you have people who, you know, were kind of doing their own thing and things were going great. And that was lovely. And now they're realizing that, you know, maybe they want to explore some other digital tools and resources and platforms if their students are going to continue learning at a distance or they're anticipating that might be on the schedule at some point this fall. Yes. Well, that we're all trying to figure out how to, you know, pivot Mm -hmm. from the face-to-face setting to that virtual setting and then possibly go into that hybrid setting in then order to get into that face-to-face setting. Um, There's so many different transitional pieces that, you know, all educators right now are really trying to pick up and move um, just to be able to interact with their students. It's really uh, a very challenging time period right now. (laughs) It's it's really, I was, I was actually just kind of, um, Oh, having some reflection the other night and I was like, you know what? COVID-19, you know, yes, it is. <laughs> it's not a fun time period, but it's also giving us and allowing us um, the grace. And also it's giving us the permission to, you know, be innovative, be able to explore things that we otherwise never would have even considered. So that I have to say, you know, is probably, you know, the silver lining of all of this, you know, it's, we have that permission now to explore, innovate, become creative uh, and adapt. Absolutely. And, you know, just like you said, and I heard someone say recently that this situation has taken what we kind of assumed might happen with education in 20 years from now and just fast forwarded it, right? So maybe we could have said, oh, what we're doing now is like a future thing. Like at some point down the line, right, this imaginary moment that we didn't really have to plan for, we're now just thrust and it's accelerated, right? The whole process um, has been expedited, but you use the word pivot to describe it. And I think that's so important because we're don't, we don't have to abandon things, right? We can just pivot and change direction. So all the things that were great before, like checking for understanding regularly, giving kids a chance to talk to their classmates and collaborate, right? All the things that were happening before, we're just really pivoting to say, okay, what is it going to look like now? What other layers do we need to add on here? What do we need to be mindful of? And so I think that's such a great way to frame it. Exactly. 
Well, I would love to you know dive a little bit deeper into technology uh, to better you know, you know help out you know all of our colleagues across you know the nation and the world as we um, you know pivot <laughs> into this new school year. Um, I guess what how how would you how do you keep up with the latest and greatest technology trends and not be so overwhelmed with everything? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot out there, right? And so one thing that I share with educators often, especially because I am very guilty, like all of us, of clicking on links that say 15 of these and 24 of those, right? Um, Because we know that there's probably one or two tips, you know, on that list of things, right? And so that being said, you know, when I give a presentation that might be you know, 15 tools for readers or 40 ways to do this or whatever, you know, I try and frame it with that, you know, tool belt analogy to say, you don't want all of these things in your tool belt. It's going to be too heavy. It's going to fall on the floor. You won't be able to reach anything, right? You really want to have those spotlight tools, those things that you know are really going to be front and center. And when I work with teachers, I'm often thinking about the strategies, right? And then just putting the strategies in the context of what they have access to. So oftentimes on a webinar, I'll say, you know, this is the thing, like in, and then I'll name the three tools. You could do this in Seesaw. You could do this in Teams. You could do this in Nearpod. Like, don't get caught up on that. Like, this is what we really want to do here. But we need to have something in our tool belt to make it happen. And so just like you had asked, you know, how do I, you know, keep up? Well, you know, early on, it was really a a searching situation where I was going out, searching through the app store. What's new today? What's this? What's that? And then it kind of has evolved for me into a balance of that. So that still happens, right? I'm still mindful of what are people talking about, right? What is all this energy around Flipgrid that was happening, uh, you know, a couple years ago, or everyone's really excited about Wakelet. Let's take a closer look at what is jumping out for them. Um, And then the other piece is that I get a lot of people reaching out to me because I do coverage and I have some partnerships and I have the blog. So that is an interesting way to kind of get a sneak peek at things too. So a lot of times someone from a company will say, we're going to try this new thing. You want to see it, (laughs) you know, or um, we're about to release this, or do you think this has market value? And so I get a lot of those kind of cold emails from people that I might not have met before either who just want to give me kind of a synopsis or an overview of what they're doing. And, you know, I can't really set up a demo with everyone, of course, but it gives me a sense and a connection. So that if I do start hearing some buzz or I get a message from someone that presents something that seems very unique or that I don't quite understand what they're getting at. And I'm curious, um, that gives me an opportunity to build that connection too. So it's still that combination of, searching, going out, kind of keeping my ears open about things, and then also taking some of those those inbounds that come through and just making sure that I'm following up and, and getting some more information if someone has something new they're bringing to market. Okay. Well, just right there, <laughs> there was so much information. Um, oh, how can we, I guess, as educators, how can we, you know, sift through all of that? So that way we are, we're relevant, but we're not, you know, as you said, you know, having to do all of the, the searching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that there's, you know, some great resources. I try to be a resource for people to point them in the direction of different things, but, you know, I know that, you know, you can get a surface level look and kind of get a feel for that kind of gut reaction of saying, this isn't for me, this is for a friend, or this is something I want to dive into. And that's kind of how I think about the listicles, right? Like put it in your back pocket. You never know when you might need this, like catalog it, right? 
um, find something that is going to solve problem for someone you know, and then just send it along to them and maybe check in with them later if you kind of have your eyes out. And then look at what you can pull into your routines that really makes sense. And so when it comes to that piece, and I think a lot of people reflected on this the past spring, people with the best intentions, right, were kind of throwing a lot at kids from far away. Um, That's true of elementary schoolers, and maybe they have two or three siblings at home, and their family is really struggling to like navigate the four things each of these teachers are asking their now children to do becomes a dozen or more things. And so that's one piece. And same thing with secondary. So you might have a eighth grader who sees six different teachers during the day, which maybe is hard enough when we're face-to-face but especially hard at a distance to manage all of those pieces. I mean, we don't ask college kids typically when they're learning online or face-to-face to to have six or seven different instructors, yet somehow we think a 16-year-old can handle all of those time management pieces, right? So, you know, that's something too that I think is important to consider. But all of that goes under the, the big answer to your question, which is really about streamlining and having some commonality as a school, as a district. I'm careful when saying that because I don't want to take out the autonomy or the creativity of educators, especially in secondary, where you may have things that are more specialized for content, and especially in elementary, where you might need some really specific differentiated support that is unique to that group. So if you can find that balance between This is our core tool, our core platform, kind of our non-negotiable. Everyone's in this space. Please don't introduce something that is like this to your students because this is the thing that we're using as our default. And then you have that flexibility to build on those other pieces. You know, I often am sharing the term open-ended creation tool and this idea that if you have this great tool that you can use to make book trailers, math tutorials, like if you can give kids a tool that becomes a blank canvas for them that they can use in lots of different ways. That's also a really good way to support them at a distance and doesn't need to limit their creativity. Oh, that is great. I will, I personally will be putting a lot of that information into my backpack because for my district in particular, we don't have an LMS. We are strictly using just Microsoft and the Teams platform which I think it's it's a great platform, but it does have its hiccups. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm struggling. And I know the district is saying, you know, hey, we need you guys to, you know, we want to make it easier for our students and our, our parents and our community members with gaining that access. Please do not share another system. Mm -hmm. Let's stick with what we have. And I believe in that. But also at the same time, what if it doesn't support everything the teachers are trying to share? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I appreciate hearing that your your district communicated that piece, right? This is the purpose behind it. And I think that's sometimes something that's lost, especially in stressful moments where it's like on to the next thing. Like, nope, can't use that. Nope, this is the one. Okay, now let's keep moving. But you know, there is that purpose behind it to say, right, we want things streamlined. We want this to happen like as our core piece. But you know, when concerns are raised like that, you know, I think there needs to be enough openness to say, you know, you are a content area expert. You have this pedagogical knowledge that's going to help you choose something that's right for your group. 
you know, as long as we're happy from a student and teacher data privacy perspective, as long as we're happy with the accessibility um, pieces that go along with it, like let's loop this into what it is that we're doing. And so, you know, one thing that I think has been great about the Microsoft pieces, and I think sometimes Microsoft, you know, we all have this like notion of being in messy Excel spreadsheets and like depending on everyone's age, I think, right? Like we've had these kind of not fun experiences in Microsoft Word and then I forgot to save it. Now everything saves automatically, you know, like, so we kind of have this like thing that we're going into often with Microsoft tools that we're in this baggage we're carrying for lack of a better word. But they've done a really good job, I think, of trying to come out in front of certain things. Like they acquired Flipgrid. And, you know, I want to make sure, you know, I've done a little bit of marketing work for them. I know some folks on their team, like, so I want to, you know, stress that piece and mentioning that. But it's been interesting to watch some of their decision-making and some of the pieces that they brought in. And I really do love the immersive reader components, the accessibility So if that is kind of your core environment, it really is about saying, what's going to work with that? Like what uses our Office 365 logins? What is going to be something where kids can export as a link and then they can post it in Teams to share? Because if that happens, then we're just good to go all the time. And so it might be some of those those workarounds that even in your own site, you're exploring as you think about, okay, this is our our home where everything lives. What else can we place in here that's not going to break it? Exactly. No. And that's all stuff that I've been, I have been trying to organize and try to streamline just like what you said, because I want to live within the boundaries of what my district is wanting us to support. And also I want to, I want to support my students and and, uh, their families because I'm a mother too. And I have four kids who are all on completely different you know, platforms and trying to integrate everything that they are doing. It's stressful. And this spring was almost, you know, that, that breaking point for me. Mm-hmm. And especially when I am technology savvy and I was completely overburdened and maxed out and, you know, at the point of, you know, having a break. Hmm. And you know, when you said that, I think it's such an important part of our reflections to say, like, if this is an area that's an that's a strength for me, what does this feel like for someone else? I think about that all the time when I'm having one of those like customer service style conversations where I'm like trying to fix a bill or like a credit card issue, and I think about all the energy that had to go into getting the right person on the phone. Right? I'm like, I feel like I'm pretty confident you know, at this kind of conversation at navigating the menu, you know, I'm proficient in the language that this, you know, this phone call is in and I'm still really struggling to communicate, to accomplish my goal. Like what would happen if I was, you know, a senior citizen or I was someone who wasn't used to being in these spaces or didn't speak English as a first language, you know? And so I think about that a lot, just navigating the world and you know, the, the tough, tough things can be. And it's definitely true when we look at these pieces and, you know, I'm not, excusing anyone's, you know, frustration or or not so nice Facebook posts or all the things that I think are happening right now that, you know, we've all seen come across where people are are feeling like they just want things to go back to normal or they just want everyone back in school and, and all those things. But I do understand that it's been a very tough time for families and that if part of our reflection includes 
streamlining communication, streamlining platforms, coming out ahead of anything that we anticipate as being challenges, as well as making sure that those supports are there, you know, as much as possible. I think that is something that will make everyone's life a lot easier and therefore, you know, save us the time and energy to get to what it is we want to get to, which is really supporting students no matter where they are. Exactly. And that's what, you know, as educators, that is who, that is the, our essence. We want to support everybody at any point, anywhere. So I guess then, you know, what is the best way to share newfound information with your colleagues? Do you have any, you know, tips, tricks, strategies mm-hmm. on, on that? Yeah. So when sharing with colleagues, sharing with families, even sharing with students, I think it's important to place things in a context and I kind of use like the what, why, and how type of format. So what is the thing? Like, what is it? Just give me a synopsis. Why are we using this? So how does it connect to something that is going to be important for our learning goals, right? Why is this something I should pay attention to? We think about that with students all the time. We want to make things relevant and connected to the world and all of that, but we want to do the same thing when we're sharing a resource. Part of that why might be the sell of, this is going to save you time. This is going to make your life easier, right? Or this is going to solve this specific problem. I've heard everyone tell me that they have. And then there's the how, like, how does this work? And so the how does this work, you know, could scale from a quick, here's the two sentences on how you log in, and then it's pretty self-explanatory. It could be a link to a Loom video or a Screencastify video that shows, you know, someone highlighting the key points, and then you watch it and you're good to go. Um, And so that is something that I think is important, you know, giving the synopsis, providing the context, and then making it friendly for someone to dive into. I love it. Those are great tips and strategies for everybody. How do you not overwhelm your staff and colleagues, I guess, then with uh, sharing that tech information? Because that could be, it could be too many choices. You know, I could have, I could say, oh, I found these three amazing resources that I think if I think they're valuable, I, I know somebody else's will think that as well. But at the same time, that could completely overwhelm Yeah. And so I really think that the more you can have a single call to action, if you're sending something out to someone, um, the better. We know that if we get a noisy newsletter, we don't, we miss the link. That's sometimes the most important one because we get distracted by something else that's in there. You know, but if you are sorting through a long list, and this is a a term that I I use more often. I was on a, a call with a group of educators in Wisconsin this morning. We're talking about curating resources and and finding things to share with kids, but it's true of our colleagues too, you know, thinking of it as your role as a curator, right? Kind of like a museum curator. They've got an exhibit on a famous artist or they're showing an exhibit on a a specific period in history. They're not going to take out everything and put it in that room, right? They're not going to take the people who come to the museum straight down to the basement and show them all the stuff, right? They're going to pick out the 10 best paintings. They're going to put the you know historical artifact in the center of the room that's the most important so that when you walk in right you don't even know any better you don't care what's in the basement like someone has taken you on this journey very purposefully and strategically so just like we wouldn't send kids out and say go find a youtube video right we'd give them maybe a couple to choose from or just send them one to get them started i think that idea of curation is is really key to just kind of be our own our own gut check for not overwhelming people. And that's kind of the visual I like to think of. Like, I'm sure there's some interesting, weird stuff in the basement of this museum, but I understand why they only chose these items to put in this exhibit. 
Yeah, no, that's, it's, that's perfect. Is there a, um, Oh gosh. Yeah. There's like Google for, I guess, uh, back it up just a little bit. When you're talking about, you know, the curation of this museum, you're only picking out, you know, 10 of the, the best paintings and everything else is in the basement. Is there a, like Google has a, a Google sites where mm-hmm. you can create kind of your own personalized website. Are there any other like website building yeah, website buildings yeah. that somebody can make and then that could be a way to show it off. Yeah, I mean sites is great, right? And even if you're in an Office 365 environment, you could use a Drive account and make it public for everyone to see. But have you used Microsoft Sway before? I have tried to play around with Sway okay. personally, but I get lost with cuz I look at it as it's the older big brother of PowerPoint. Yeah, <laughs> how I see it. And yeah. I don't see the purpose and the connection with it. So it's funny because I am a, you know, I come from an elementary background. So I'm constantly like showing things with my, like I, I landed at this time. Like I can't not talk about like an airplane without making my whole hand, like move in a direction. I know if people might be listening to this, but we're on zoom, right? So you can see me with my hands. Right. And so when I think of PowerPoint, like I go like this, cause it's like the slides, right. And when I think of, right. And when I think of sway, I think like this, right. So it's that vertical, right. So you can sort of build a newsletter or website with sway. So I mentioned that one because you know, you, you shared about being in that environment. I think there's some similarities to sites. I think of Sway as being more of a single landing page where you could organize some content. And I think for sharing resources, that can be nice. Like this is the link that takes me to all the stuff on ecosystems that my sixth grade teachers might appreciate. Right. And so you kind of have that as one collection of things. The other option that I love, and I love the Adobe Spark tools. I work, do some work with their team. I've got a book about Spark activities, so definitely a Spark focus, and they're free too, which is great, is Spark Page. And Spark Page is a single landing page. You could connect them if you want to, but it's really, it's not like sites, a Google Sites where you like might have a hierarchy of things. It's really about that single collection or single landing page. And so that is one where you can pull together a whole series of links. You can embed YouTube videos or Vimeo videos if you wanted to. You can make buttons. You can write a paragraph that says, this is why this resource might be good for you, and then put the link right below it. So I like that also for kind of building a single website or page. You don't need to have any sort of coding or HTML. And it is and it, I do think it's simpler than Sway and simpler than sites just in terms of the interface. And it when you publish it, it really makes like a beautiful, a beautiful page to scroll down. It's just very, it looks great. And so that's something that might be worth considering. Spark is for Spark, Adobe Spark is free for everyone. There's a little watermark on the bottom. If you are just using the regular free version, if you're a small business owner, you could pay and put your logo on it, but Spark for education is their special education version. And when your school just signs up for it, like it's literally just, okay, here's our, I don't, I want, I don't want to overstate the simplicity because there are some steps to go through, but uh, you know, I do want to just say that it's not like you have to pay for something or sign up in a formal way. You just have to set up your school accounts through your Adobe admin console. So if you're a school that already deploys fancier Adobe tools or creative cloud licenses to kids, you then would just assign spark to everyone for free, as opposed to, 
individual licenses. And then your school could actually put your logo in. You could change the colors. So it would look just more school focused. And so that's a a kind of a long way of saying um, you could create a really nice web page and collection um, with SparkPage. That sounds amazing because that is something that I'm actually trying to do for my school just to help my colleagues out, you know, just with the whole streamline of everything and connect with, I think I have about three or four, maybe five other colleagues who are interested in, you know, helping, you know, curate in their specialized content areas. Love it. Because my philosophy is sharing is caring and, Mm -hmm. you know, why recreate the wheel? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And with this, you know, and I just love that idea of creating something, you publish it, it's online, you can go in and you can update it. So if someone sends you an email and they say, well, you should have put in this video about whatever, you can say, no problem, just update it. Thank you. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, and you can have me that the link. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. I guess I, my, one of my last uh, questions for you would be, what strategies can you recommend to help educators stay motivated in this remote learning environment? Because it's hard. It is a hard space to be in right now. It is definitely hard. And, you know, we all are in this moment now where we might be on video calls more often. We're not moving maybe as much as we're used to. I mean, I, and would be scared to look at my steps, right? <laughs> and compare it to this time last year. Or as I was saying, you know, my last big trip was in Seattle and all the steps I put in walking all across Seattle, right? I'm not putting in here at home um, that, that same way. So I think when it comes to staying motivated, I'm a big systems person setting up systems. And I don't necessarily mean, you know, routines as much as just, this is the way that we do this thing. And so some of my favorite systems are around productivity with communication and answering questions. And that I think is something that can be a big brain drain for teachers, no matter where they are, but especially at home. And so the idea of having what I, it's not a term that is unique to me, but I always refer to it, right. as those canned responses. And you'll, if you even just Google canned responses, you'll get lots of tips for it. I have an add on in my Google And you can use it with a signature tool if you're in Outlook also, where you can set up quick responses that are for questions you get all the time. And it doesn't mean that you're not personalizing that. Like one of mine is if I get a question from a teacher, maybe someone I've never even met before that reaches out and says, can you recommend something for X, Y, and Z? I hit one button and it says, you know, hello, here's a resource that answers your question. Have a great week, you know, best Monica, right? And what I do is I put in that person's name. And then I go to my blog and I grab the blog post that I think would help them with that question. Or I go to the website if I don't have a blog post on it and I just plug it right in and I send it to them. So I'm not typing out a whole email. I'm not checking my spelling, right? I'm not even rereading anything. And it seems like, oh, how much time could that really save? It's not even just the time. It's like the brain energy that goes along with that. So that's one way I do it. And then I think especially if you are in a, maybe not an actual tech support role, but you're taking on that role in your community or for students or for your families is having maybe more robust canned responses where you can say, here's the Loom video that solves this problem. So that the get into a system to say, someone asked me a question today about how to 
make my PowerPoint collaborative? I bet someone else is going to ask me this question at some point, right? So what do I do? I create a quick Loom video. I don't even say that person's name. I just say, hey there, you asked about this. Let me show you how to make this document collaborative. I press these two buttons. Awesome. Let me know if you have any other questions. And so I send the link to the first person who asked me that. And then you can put that link into just a running list and you can use the same subject line for the email, right? How do I make PowerPoint collaborate? So the next time I get that question, I just plug in that video and I'm ready to go. And so these things don't have to be impersonal, of course, right? You might decide that just even doing a Loom video is going to save you the time of writing out an email with all the steps of what to do, right? So right there, that's huge. But if you are finding yourself answering the same email, my kind of rule is if this is the third time I've responded to this, it's probably not going to be the last time (laughs) that I'm asked this question. And so then that kind of goes into my system of just having a running response. And so that's the big thing I would say for morale, especially during these tough times, you know, those are the kind of things that just can be the breaking point for us, or it can be the last straw on a really long day. And so if the more that we can set up systems that are going to save us some time and some energy, I think that it really can make a bigger difference than we might think about at the front. Sometimes we don't realize until afterwards, like, whoa, that really did save me a lot of time. No, that's great. Because if there's anything that we every collectively we all need is more time. I don't want to say, you know, wasting time on answering, you know, Mm -hmm. the same question over and over because that's not, but you are saving a huge chunk of time, just helping. You're helping everybody. No, that's perfect. When it comes to the systems and everything that you were mentioning, how do you feel about having your school email on your phone? (laughs) Because yeah. That's a tough one, right? So one thing I do feel really strongly about, and I have to admit that I am not as good about it now, given the change of schedule and quarantine. I think everyone probably feels this way. I'm getting, I've gotten better the past month, but I don't want to make it sound like this is what I was doing in March and April either, is that I really strongly believe in setting email times for yourself of what you're doing within it. And that you might check your email, but I do, I try very hard not to send any email on the weekend ever. Does it mean that I might not jump on my computer on Saturday morning? Of course I will, but I will use in Gmail, I'll do a schedule so it won't go to someone till Monday. One, I don't want to bug someone over the weekend just because that happens to be the time I'm working. Maybe I had a doctor's appointment or I'm making up hours on the weekend, right? But I also don't want to set an expectation that I communicate during that time. So you might have to check in at your email, you know, at seven o'clock because you've been on meetings all day. But if that person doesn't need that response until tomorrow, set it up to send tomorrow morning because it's going to just help your sanity to say, this is really when I go on and off. You don't want to start the school year with anyone thinking that if they send you an email at 10 o'clock, you're going to respond to them at 1130 at night. So if you can easier said than done, set your own sort of system to say, this is when I do check email. This is when I want to make sure I respond. And if you can take it off your phone, wonderful. I don't know that everyone has that willpower, right? But definitely turn off the push notifications. If you haven't set that up already, I mean, that's the iPhone term for it, but I'm sure Android has something similar. You can set, it not only saves battery, but it saves your own internal energy. So what happens is 
for your email, you can set it up so that you have to open up the mail app for you to see new mail as opposed to it sending it to you like a text message every time something comes in. Sounds silly, but if you have to physically open up, and I'm going like this because I have my phone next to me, but if you physically have to open up your mail to see it refresh, it's very different than seeing a new message pop up when you least expect it and then having that reaction to it. So those are two big things I would say is set your own parameters for your responses as well as you know when you would check in and then set up your phone or your device so it's not pinging you, but it might be there in case you need it. What you just shared, that's perfect. And I know that's going to help me because I'm one of those instant gratification kind of people where... Mm-hmm. You know, just my favorite analogy is I love to vacuum. (laughs) And, but it's because I get to see those crisp lines Mm -hmm. and the cleanliness immediately. And in a way, that's how I see, you know, this virtual world where everything is on demand. You know, we're able to stream our favorite shows on demand in the comfort Mm -hmm. of our own home. Mulan is coming out on Disney. And we'll be able to stream it from the comforts of our own home and not go to the theaters. So Mm -hmm. that on demand, and for me, I feel like I am on demand. (laughs) And I know if I feel like that, I know there are so many other people out there who feel the same way. And so that is really going to help me and give me the permission to give Mm -hmm. myself those boundaries and the parameters to safeguard my mental health. (laughs) And I was talking to a group of school leaders in New York. We were doing like a cohort with school leaders this past June. And that was, you know, we were talking about this type of piece. And I said, you need to really set that, especially if you already feel this way, right? You really need to set that expectation for your staff. Like do not respond. Like we don't respond to emails at, to parents at nine o'clock at night. Like we don't like, so we all have to, if we all can commit to this, like there's going to be a level of expectation. If one of us does it, everyone's going to expect that they can send an email to the teacher at this time and get an instant response. And it's just, it's not healthy. It's not sustainable or it's really not good for anyone. And so, you know, I love that connection that you made to the Netflix or the Disney plus and like that sort of mentality, like having those boundaries is really, is really key. We are not computers and there's a great, a great reason for that, that we want to just you know, circle back to. No, that's perfect. Thank you, because (laughs) you just helped me take off a little bit of a load off my shoulders and giving me that permission. Like, it's okay. It is okay to safeguard myself. And I am not a computer. (laughs) I live by post-it notes. (laughs) With your time and everything, I'm so grateful. How can audience members find you? Like, please share yourself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So my blog is classtechtips.com and it's class tech tips on Instagram, on Twitter, on all the places like that. And then my podcast is called the Easy Ed Tech Podcast. So I have pretty short episodes. Usually it's just me. Sometimes I interview someone. I think last week was with the folks from Flipgrid talking about some of their new updates and Flipgrid shorts. And sometimes it's just me giving some quick tips. So the podcast is something newer that I started about a year and a half ago, but the blog is full of stuff, right? And so that's a great place to go to look for resources. And then at Class Tech Tips on Twitter, on Instagram, if you send me a message, I'm usually pretty quick with a response there as well. 
And yes, you are very quick with the response. And thank you. (laughs) Well, this has been an absolute joy and delight to connect with you and to share all your tips, strategies, and resources. And you're just a wealth of information. And I know it's not only benefited me, but I know it's going to benefit so many others. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for joining me today at Connect FCS Ed. In this podcast, we boldly celebrate families and careers by providing inspiration, support, and resources for teachers, students, and families. If you could do me a quick favor, please leave me a five-star review on iTunes. My mission is to get this out in front of as many people as possible to help educate and inform the community that home economics is alive and well. Each week, I will choose one special person to win some Connect FCS Ed swag. So be sure to add your name to the review and I will reach out to you if you're the winner. Thanks again for spending your time with me today. And be sure to visit me at fcspodcast.com for past episodes and more gifts to help spread the word that family and consumer science is today's home economics.